0: Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship, because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here. I hope you're glad to be here as we continue our series titled, I'll Do It Tomorrow, where we're talking about change and the difficulties that come along with change. Last week, we talked about the sovereignty of God, which means God is all powerful and he's completely in control. And we saw that change, well, it's just part of life. And a lot of times it's God actually bringing it into our lives. And we can allow change to bring us closer to God, or we can allow it to pull us away from God. And during all of that, and that, that great thing to think about, well, this week I was informed I had to change, and I got, well, pretty frustrated. That ever happened to you? Even after I just preached that whole thing? You see, somehow this summer, um, I hurt my shoulder, and surprisingly it wasn't during, well, me lifting weights is when I usually hurt it. I... We just got lazy, and we were going out, doing things all the time, so I really took a break from lifting, and my shoulder just started killing me, and because I've lifted weights for a really long time, I know what to do when my shoulder hurts. I know what exercises to do. I know the kind of rest I need, and I kept doing the things I was, had done before, and it wasn't working. Every time I would mess with it, it felt like I got hit by a truck the next day. So I talked with a friend who supposedly knew about these things. She's a physical therapist, you know. And so I asked her, I said, you know, what's, what's going on? And explained to her what was happening. And so she put me through some, some little tests. And she says, well, you've torn your rotator cuff. She said, you have to do things differently. And I said, no, that's not true. Was it because of my expertise? Nope. Was it because of my vast knowledge of shoulder functions? Nope. I disagreed because my shoulder was not allowed to be torn that way. I am a man and things like that are not supposed to happen to men. At least, you know, you can think what you want. I think what I want. Okay, we'll agree. And I was like, this is not supposed to happen. And to be fair, while I disagreed with her assessment, I went ahead and didn't do one of the exercises she said not to do and started getting a little bit better. But I just think that's because my manliness kicked in and it just fixed it. At least that's what I think happened. So anyways, I ended up getting an x-ray. They found nothing. Ended up getting an MRI. And they said, your rotator cuff is torn. And a whole bunch of other things going on in there. So my doctor said, you need to, to go to physical therapy. You need to see physical therapy. I was like, for what? They said, well, they, need it. they need to teach you how to get this thing. But I said, I don't need anybody telling me how to work out. I've been working out for so long. I don't need anybody to tell me with this. She said, well, you just need to go. I said, fine, I'll go. And I went, because every time I tried to do, again, this was the issue, every time I tried to do the things I did before, it was causing more pain. And there's a point where the pain gets bad enough where you go, fine, I'll listen to somebody. And so I went, and wouldn't you know, this physical therapist said the same thing the last one said. He said, you have to change the way you work out, except he put the icing on the cake. He said, you're getting older. And I rebuked that in the name of Jesus. I said, Satan, get behind me. I didn't say that, but I wanted to say that. But he said, you have to change the way you work out. And he gave me these simple, so basic exercises to get my shoulder back on track. I mean, it was so insulting, the things that he says I need to start doing at home. So I reluctantly have been doing them don't tell that other person or my physical therapist, but they're working. You see, the truth is, as I get older, things are gonna have to change. It doesn't mean I like it, it's just the way it is. In a similar way, the more mature, the more we grow, the older we get in our faith, the more often things will change. Or to say it a different way, change is required for us to become mature Christians see growth well it requires change maturity it requires change change is actually what is expected in the Christian life look at what John says 1st John 2 chapter 1st John 2 5-6 he says but if anyone obeys his word love for God is truly made complete in them this is how we know we are in him, meaning this is how you know if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you have been born again, if you are saved. This is how you know if you know him. Whoever claims to live in him, that means be a Christian, must live as Jesus did. It's rather simple. Do you have a concern to live like Jesus? Do you, have, do you want to? Do you want to be like him? Do you want to do the things he did? Is there an inward desire in you to change to become like him? Because that's the problem. We aren't like him. None of us are perfect, which means we have to grow. And this process is called sanctification. We've talked about it before. And there are two aspects of sanctification. We don't have time to get into them today, but uh, all the details. But basically, God declares us holy because of what Christ has done. Not because of what we've done, but because we are in Christ. We are declared holy because he is holy. So we then strive to become what he has declared of us. He says we're holy so we strive to become what he says about us. We live into our future. So you remember, we are justified when we become saved, when we give our lives to Christ. We are justified. That means declared holy, declared righteous. We are not guilty. We are justified because of Jesus Christ. But then we're declared at the same time a saint, which we are not. So we progressively become more like him, which means we continually change to be like Christ. To say that in a much easier way, it says this. We're gonna look at a different translation. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk. We need to walk like Jesus in the same way in which he walked. We are to live or we're to walk like Jesus. You see, the Christian life, is about changing to reflect Jesus. Did you know that? The slide's up here for you. The Christian life, well, it will be. The Christian life is about changing to reflect Jesus. And we're to continue to be renewed and as a believer. And we'll see today how that actually happens. What we're gonna look at today are the mandates, the things that seem very basic, the things that you've probably heard about your entire Christian life, these, these few things that we must do to become more like Christ. And they're simple, just like those workouts the physical therapist gave me, but they actually work. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. This is the practical side of Romans. If you've never read Romans, the first 11 chapters are the most theological um, chapters in the entire Bible. I mean, it's amazing. And, and then he turns from the theological because of what Christ has done into the practical. When he applies these mandates, we'll call them, we have as Christians. In fact, these things we're going to look at are the things we have to do in order to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. And you say, well, Brian, how can you make such a bold statement that we have to do these things to please God? Well, because he says so. It makes it quite easy for us. Look at this, Romans 12, one through two. Paul says this, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything he j- just laid out in chapters 1 through 11, all that God has done, and let's just review not what he says in 1 through 11, but review a quick understanding of the gospel. Remember, we were created, you and I, we were created to live in fellowship with God. We were created to be with him in this relationship, to be his ambassadors, but sin broke that relationship. It severed it, like it breaks all relationships. And therefore, because of the broken relationship, God took responsibility for our sin, though it was not his fault, it was our fault. He took responsibility for the sin problem and came down in human form. We know that person is whom? Making sure you're following me. I'm talking fast. We got a lot to cover. I can talk slow. We'll be here for three and a half hours. I talk fast. We'll be here for an hour. Which one? Fast. Okay, there we go. Okay. So, Jesus came down to take responsibility for our sin, Right, when he died on the cross, he rose again, and now his blood atones, it covers all of our sin. And now we are saved because of his what? Right, grace. Remember, we are saved by grace, not by works. So in view of that, in view of his mercy, in view of his grace, in view of all of that, therefore, in view of his mercy, you see, that's what's supposed to compel us as Christians. Not to earn his mercy, not to earn his grace, not to do so many good things that we finally make it in. In view of the fact that he's given us this grace and we can't earn it, in view of that, we are to live a life of worship. He says we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the first thing we're gonna see is you and I, we must worship. You knew that, that's why you're here. But we must worship. Remember, Jesus said the most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the way we do that, the way we love God like that is through our worship. See, worship is the way we celebrate God's presence and the way we honor him with our lifestyle. And you, I hope you know, this worship is so much more than music. While worship can include praising God, it's expressed in praising and praying and hearing God's word. Worship is included in us giving back to God. It's included in when we take the Lord's Supper. I mean, that is why we do all of those things in a worship service. So our entire worship service is designed to do things that you should be doing throughout the work. We corporately participate we corporately come together to worship, to teach you or show you or you can review together what we should be doing every single day. We don't come here just to praise God. We should be praising God every day. We'll do an entire sermon series on that topic later on. Let's move on. Verse two, Paul says this, Romans twelve two. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Does that mean change? Absolutely does. Look, it's right here in your Bible. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, we are to be transformed, and it actually means dramatic change. We are to be changed by the renewing of God's word through hearing it, through learning it, and through reading it which means you and I, we must be taught and we must learn God's word. We'll call that discipleship. Y'all heard of that before? Yeah, next slide real quick. We must worship, we must be taught and we must learn God's word. Discipleship, there it is for you to see it. You see, all of us must do this together because God's word answers the biggest questions that every one of us has. All three of us ask, who am I? All three, excuse me, all three of us. All of us ask, who am I? What's my purpose and what am I supposed to do? Every single human being asks those three questions and the Bible explains all of it. You see, it's through God's word we are transformed to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Christianity has always been a thinking faith and always will. So we must worship, we must be taught, and we must learn God's word. And look at Romans 3, he says this. Excuse me, Romans twelve three. He says, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't elbow your spouse sitting next to you, okay? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So this, of course, is an attention grabber. When he's talking about the need to worship, the need to be transformed, that means changed by God's word, he says, and look, by the way, just so you're aware, None of you think you have it all figured out because what he's about to tell us is that every one of us need other people. What he says in verse four, he continues. He said, for just as each of us has one body with many members, get it, body, different members, yeah, we get it, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, many people, form one body, collectively, we come together to form one, and each member belongs, it's a big deal belongs to all the others. Together, the church, we form one body and we belong. It means we're supposed to be here. We're supposed to know each other. We belong together. And the word we use for that, and you've heard it before, I'm sure it's called Fellowship. So let's go over them real quick. We must worship. We must be taught. We must learn God's word, which is discipleship. And we must build community in our church. We'll call that, well, you know that as fellowship. You see, fellowship speaks to our togetherness. Fellowship isn't just an event we plan, it's a lifestyle we choose. We should choose to connect and know other Christians, even if they're weird, right? We choose to build relationships with them. We choose to come together with them. We we choose to get to know each other. Fellowship speaks to the fact that each one of us should be known. We should be cared for. We should be held accountable. And we should be encouraged by our church family. That's some scary stuff, isn't it? Really being known and really being vulnerable and really telling people that sometimes you have pain and you need people to pray for you so you should be open and honest in the Sunday school. Right, Chuck? Yes, sir, yes, sometimes we should just be honest and open with each other. But see, it's in our togetherness we form community. It's through Christ that we, he brings us together and he says that all of us have a part to play. See, fellowship not only speaks to being known, it also speaks to our commitment to each other. Just like our fingers don't jump off of our body one day, like, you know what, I'm out of here. We stay together as a church to do what the Lord has asked us to do. And then he says that all of us have our part to play. Look at verse 6. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then proph- prophesy. If it's courting with the faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generous. If it's to lead, then do it gen- uh, diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Paul says, listen, we all have a part to play. We've all been given a spiritual gift to serve the body of Christ. And did you know that you need the church to grow in your faith? Did you know that? Because each of us must serve the body. Did you know that? Look, next slide. Yes, we must serve our church body. That's called ministry. I skipped that part. All right, so you got that. We all have gifts. We all have to serve, but you need the church to grow your faith. There's no such thing. It's completely impossible to grow as a Christian without the local church. It just doesn't happen. You may be able to grow in your Bible knowledge because you listen to the radio, or you read some books, but you can't grow in your fellowship if there's nobody around. You can't corporately worship on your own. Now, I know some of us are having to do that because of COVID, you know, but generally we can't corporately worship on our own. You can't serve others if you're not around others. You can't disciple if you don't have disciples. You need the church to grow in your faith, but even more amazingly, do you know, we need you so we can grow in our faith? We need you so we can grow in our faith. We all have different functions and it's all of us coming together using our gifts that we can achieve a goal. It's just like a football team. In order to win, you have an offense. We know, can I use a football illustration? Pittsburgh's offense didn't show up last week. If you didn't know I'm a Steelers fan, so you Clemson fans, you're more than welcome to get me back with my, because what just happened to the Steelers. Chris, I know you're laughing. I knew it was coming. I'll go ahead and just get it out there. We didn't show up either. Clemson didn't, Pittsburgh didn't. Okay, we're gonna move on. Going back to the football illustration. Just like in a football team, you have an offense, and in the offense, you have very talented players you should. Then you have a defense with very talented players. Then you have a special team when sometimes they filter in, but you have very talented players. Then you have coaches and then you have support staff who equip and encourage all of those people. All of those people have to come together to win. And what happens when your quarterback doesn't show up? Well, look at the Pittsburgh game. You just get beat and you get beat bad. We need each other. You see, our goal as a church is to help people become more like Christ. And we need your gifts, we need your specialties, we need you to chip in to help us achieve that. Everyone has to do it. So we all join to help, it's a reciprocating process. Think about this, I use my gift to to preach and teach and and I hope it helps you grow, even if it only helps you grow in your patience, you are growing, so I count that as a win, okay? And in order for me to use my gift, I have to study and I have to prepare, which means I'm learning in the process. So by me using my gift, I have to grow my faith and then hopefully your faith has grown. It comes back in forth. Do you know by you not serving, you are actually limiting your spiritual growth? You are hurting your spirituality. You are not maturing as a Christian because you are not serving. Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't don't think you can do it all and don't think you don't need the church, but I also just wanna throw in, listen, don't think too low of yourself. It's so easy for people to think, well, listen, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I've messed up so much. Listen, we all have. You maybe, you won't be able to lead worship. I mean, I wish I could. Should I give it a shot right now? You don't want that. You would leave. But just because I can't lead worship doesn't mean I don't have a part to play. We all have a part to play. So use your gifts. And then... Paul says, he says, okay, so I want you to worship and I want you to, to disciple, I mean, learn and understand God's word together. I want you to serve each other. I want you to come together. And wouldn't you know if he's telling all these people from different backgrounds, some from the north, some from the south, some Clemson fans, some Steelers fans. He says, we're going to put you all in a room in small rooms together. So I need to learn how to behave. Look what he says, Romans 12, 9. love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Listen, this isn't all Paul has to say, but this is some of the things he has to say, and we don't have time to go over it. In fact, I would encourage you to read Romans 12 every day this week. You'd be amazed at what you can learn just in this one chapter. But one thing I do wanna ask you, I wanna ask you for a favor. Can you be faithful in prayer with me? Can I ask you to pray for our church? Can I ask you to pray for our leaders of the church? Selfishly, can I ask you to pray for God's will to be done in your life and our church so we can get a clear picture of what He wants us to move forward with? So will you do that? Will you pray? So, we're moving on. You can read this on your own. It's really good. But he moves from how to deal with, it's very interesting, how to deal with each other, and then he switches up. He he says how to deal with all people. So there's certain things we have to do as a body together to get along. But then he says, but just in general, how you conduct yourself out in the world, he says this, Romans 12, excuse me, 14, 12. He said, bless those who persecute you. Hopefully that's not happening in the church, but... It happens there too, right? He said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And he goes on and and continues talking about this for quite a few verses. But why do you think Paul does that? What do you think the motive behind him guiding our conduct out in the world is? Just to be nice. Just because it's found in Acts 2. Look at this. Acts 2, 47. 46 to 47. It says, every day, this is the very beginning of the church, by the way. It says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. People liked the church. People liked Christians. They weren't crazy. They weren't picketing signs. People enjoyed Christians. They had favor with all people. And look what it says. And the Lord added to the numbers daily those who were being saved. It's not the only reason, but one of the reasons, one of the contributing factors to the church explosion, one of the contributing factors to people being saved is the church, how they were acting, how people saw them, was their reputation with non- christians we must never forget we are called to share our faith and i know that can be scary that's number five we are called to share our next slide we must share our faith it's called evangelism you know this already see we are to be people who tell people about jesus christ we're to live a lifestyle where we are ready to share with people, hey, why don't you come check out the church? Why don't you come learn the Bible? Why don't you, let me just tell you about how Jesus saved me. Because the Christian life is about changing to reflect more of Jesus. And if we're against changed, if you are against change, here's what's amazing about this. You could find yourself fighting against the very thing God is trying to do in your life to mature your faith. Rather than fighting it, times we just have to trust God and understand that he is doing something. And we do these things. We go through this process of sanctification. There's certain actions we must do in order continually maturing our faith. Because once you commit your life to Jesus Christ, you are committing to a lifestyle of change. The only way you can stop changing as a Christian is when you become perfect. Anybody got that yet? Yeah. That's the only time you can say, I'm done. I'm not changing. I'm not doing anything else. I have arrived. I'm Jesus. See, the process of sanctification is a lifelong process, it's a lifelong commitment to worship, to fellowship, to ministry, to discipleship, to evangelism. And those functions of the church and what we do, they never change. But the way we carry them out will always change because times change. But even so, it can lead you to a more sanctified, holy life. Think of it this way, let's talk about worship. I've pastored three churches so far, hopefully this is my last. I'm supposed to hear an amen for that. Like, okay, thank you, this, hopefully this will be my last. But each church I've pastored, there has been a worship war in the undercurrent, every single one of them. And I've heard at each church, oh, I can't worship to that. And that comment saddens me when I hear it, because worship isn't about music. Though it includes it, worship is so much more. And quite frankly, if you can't worship because of one song, you are going to be completely miserable in heaven. It's not just going to be your playlist. We're preparing you. I'm I'm not not joking. Do you think heaven's only going to be from 1950 to 1980 hymns? No, it's going to be so much more than that. So much more. And I'm at a disadvantage when it comes to music. Honest, by the time I started getting serious with church, I just made up my mind I would never enjoy music at church. See, I didn't grow up cherishing hymns. I didn't grow up when younger in the church. They didn't take me back to a time when life was off. There was no nostalgia, it was nothing in it. I just went to church and figured, you know what, I'm just never gonna like the music. That's just kind of part of it. You see, I never listened to the piano, I never listened to the organ, I listened to what? Yeah, hip-hop. I've told you several times. I liked hip-hop, and I liked rap. That's what I liked. That's what I liked, and that's what I enjoyed. And even when churches in that area started contemporary Christian music, guess what? I didn't like it either. Why? Because I liked rap. And I still have not been to a church that has a hip-hop service, though. Rocky, what do you think? <laughs> you, think you think we could... You think we could? Usually you say yes. You're hesitant on that one, are you? Okay, okay, he's hesitant. But I think, so I I settled that when I went to church, I would never get my favorite type of music. But that stopped me from going to church. Church is so much more than that. What I learned was I can listen to my favorite music every single day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. In fact, I could listen to my favorite music every single day right up until I went to that one-hour service. And I could praise the way that I enjoyed praising. You see, I learned that worship was so much more than music. I never committed to a corporate worship service because I liked the music. I committed even though I didn't like it. But now, do you know I love praise and worship music? You say, well, well, that's just because you're younger. No, listen to hip-hop and listen to that. They're not the same. I learned to appreciate it. I mean, how can you sing Spirit of the Living God and not be moved and not feel that? All of us can change. All of us can learn to appreciate other things. I've done it. If I can do it, I'm quite confident you can. But see, could change in music be teaching you that music is... Excuse me, worship is far more than music. Could it be that God is pointing out an error in your beliefs? Could God be calling you to turn off all that other stuff you listen to during the week and sing those, those songs that you do cherish all week instead of just one hour a week? Think about the togetherness the community aspect of the church. Three things we talked about today, fellowship, discipleship, and ministry, service, they all require us to come together. And how serious are you about committing to a body of believers? Have you said, I'm in, I'm I'm sold, I'm committing to these people, to carrying out discipleship and fellowship and, and ministry with them? I know so many of us were looking for that perfect church but if you find the perfect church, don't join it because then it won't be perfect anymore, right? Think about it. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And while we're talking about it, there's no such thing as a perfect church nor a perfect pastor. A church is far more than one person or one pastor. I know it sounds odd, but we're just at a place I need to talk about it. We live in a culture of celebrity worship. Do we understand that? All right, we know what celebrity worship is. Good. Please don't put that on a pastor. Not me or anyone else. We don't want that, nor do we strive for that. You see, my job is to point you to Jesus. My job is to point you to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ, pastors are not politicians. We're not celebrities. We're called by God and held accountable to God. Not if you like me, but if I encouraged you or challenged you to deepen your faith. That's our job. We're not, we're not celebrities. We don't, we don't go by that. So we don't look for the perfect pastor. We don't look for the perfect church. we just want. to Pastor's one person. We look for the people that God's brought us to to commit to fellowship and evangelize and and build a community with. You see, so many people miss out on the church aspect because they're looking for for perfection. Just know it doesn't exist. Which means you're welcome to join in. And the very thing that you think the church is missing may be the very thing God is calling you to start or to lead. Don't miss out on the togetherness. You see, we need each other in order to be led and to lead other people to be mature followers of Jesus Christ. So come on in. And then evangelism. Think about it. Often, a lot of times people get very grouchy at churches because they forget that our mission is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's some point that we turn from the church being about others to ourselves. But listen, when you start sharing your faith, when you start inviting people, when you start telling them about Jesus, it really does draw you away from selfishness. And I mean, I mean that with all just being as sincere as I can, because you will realize that it becomes about them. And when you start investigating your faith and you start having to answer questions about your faith, because none of us know everything, those are the things God used to build our faith and we grow deep in our knowledge we grow deep in our understanding and then we get at this point where we're just telling people and bringing them to faith in jesus christ and together as a church i'm calling us to get serious radically serious about these functions as a church because if our individual goal is to be more like christ that means our goal as a church should be helping others to become mature followers of jesus christ regardless of what's going on in the world, because evidently it will never be a perfect time here. I haven't been here very long, church, about two and a half years. We've been through hurricanes, floods, civil unrest, and a pandemic, and crazy elections. Evidently, it's never gonna be good around now. I don't wanna tell you, it's just been crazy since I've been here. But regardless, we have to move forward and be who God has called us to be. We are to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We got to get serious about that. We want to aid them in the process of sanctification through worship, evangelism, ministry, and uh, excuse me, evangelism, fellowship, worship, discipleship. Yeah. And evangel, worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelist. I kept repeating one. Apologize. But I really am excited, and I say this with a true heart, I really am excited what God's gonna do with First Baptist Church at Conway. I'm excited how he's gonna use us. I really do hope this is the last church I pastor. But in order to do that, we gotta get serious about the things he's called us to do. Because we are a church, the body of Jesus Christ. And we need to join in and commit to those things. So as a church, We must march forward things are going to look different changes are going to take place but allow the changes to deepen your faith we all agree that the world is different now because of the pandemic but the truth is the world's been different for a long time it continues to change it won't stop but what Christ has asked us to do will not change and we must move forward with that will you pray with me Gracious and heavenly father, we are so thankful that you have called us out of sin to live a holy life. We're so thankful that through Jesus Christ, that we could be forgiven. We can be justified, that all we do is put our faith and trust in him and you cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you so much for that. Lord, through that, you declare us holy. So Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, we live into what you said about us, that we strive to live a holy life. We strive to serve. We strive to get to know other people. We strive to know your word, to to be discipled. We strive to live our lives in a worshipful way. We strive to tell other people about you. Father, collectively as a church, we're gonna move forward and get serious about those things, the things you asked us to do. Father, we have this pandemic and we know it's, it's gonna be around for a while. So we just ask you, to bless this church, bless each and every one of us and give us the creative ability to to think through how we can continue to move on. In such a changing, fast paced, changing world, it's scary, Lord. The minute we plan something, something else changes. But Lord, we know you are the sovereign God who's all in control. So we ask for your help. Father, we really do wanna reach people with the gospel. We wanna see lives changed. We wanna see relationships restored. We want to see people being baptized and committed to you. Father, we ask you to use us for that. Use us to help each and every one of us grow. We come to you admitting it's scary. It's nerve wracking. We have to be vulnerable. Lord, we know that your spirit can lead us to that change. Because when you move changes us and it changes what we see. So Lord, we ask for that. We love you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.